So when I ask a question, whether it's to a confirmation student, whether it's to an adult, really, whether it's to any sort of Christian, what does your faith mean for you? What does having faith in Jesus Christ mean for you? Um, typically, the answer I get is something like the following. Uh, faith in Jesus means that I get to go to heaven when I die. Faith in Jesus means that I get to have eternal life with God, that I get to enjoy uh, heaven and paradise all the rest of my days, and uh, that is certainly not a wrong answer at all. It's a beautiful answer. It's a great confession. I love it. But uh, I would say it's incomplete. And it's incomplete because if you notice, those, those sounding answers have one thing in common. They focus that faith is a promise for a future reality to have, right? It's the heaven, it's the paradise, it's with God, it's eternal life. So when I tweak that question and say, okay, so what does faith in Jesus Christ mean for you right now in the present? It's not uncommon for me to get a little awkward silence. Um, Maybe you're kind of thinking, I'm glad he's not asking me. I'm glad this is a rhetorical question. That's okay. Uh, maybe someone says, it means that if I were to die right now, that I would go to heaven and be good and secured. Um, I, I love this passage from John 10. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I love that passage because I think it succinctly puts in what we're trying to talk about here. Uh, Jesus doesn't just say, I've come so that they will have life that they will have heaven, that they will have paradise. But he says, no, I've come so that they can have it right now. It's a present reality. And not just any life, but a full life. A fulfilled and satisfied life. That, that faith in Jesus, he doesn't just want it to stay as small as a mustard seed, like that parable says. That is good enough, right? That, that trust in Jesus enough for your salvation. It's, it's good, but... He wants that faith to grow into a mustard tree, right? He wants it to grow into a full tree bearing fruit in season, out of season, producing healthy, right? That's, that's what he wants. He wants you to have a faith, a great faith, that is able to withstand the challenges, the obstacles, and have a life that is fully rooted and satisfied on him and his promises. Like, think about what a great faith like that would look like. That is a faith that is just producing abundant fruit of love, not just to the people that you like, but to the people who've hurt you, right? to the people who've wronged you. And no matter how much they've hurt or said or done, that you would still be able to reflect this, this Christ-like love that Jesus reflects to us when we hurt him, when we sin against him, right? This is a faith that is able to produce the fruit of, of joy, that no matter what the, the doctor says in the office, it's cancer, it's terminal, it's, you're not going to recover, that you're still someone who is just so rooted on God, okay, God's will be done, and you are just bursting forth with joy, able to, to show all these other people that you have something that maybe they don't. It is a faith that is able to produce the great fruit of peace. Right? Peace that the world can't take, that the worrisome headlines you read about what's going on in the world, the wars over there, the market crashing here, the economy, the, whatever it is, you have this peace that is unshakable, that is rock solid because it's built on your rock solid, unshakable God. This is a faith that is able to produce the beautiful fruit of patience that does not fly off the handle in anger with your words about these things that you don't like or can't control, but instead 
is grounded in the goodness of God and is content with understanding there is so much more that you can't even control and yet you know there's one who is in control and he does a far better job of being in control than you or I ever could. This is a faith that produces the great fruit of self-control that just keeps you so disciplined, right? Keeps you from going too far, whether it's your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, with your tongue, with your drinking, whatever it is, you stay responsible. Every area of your life, that, that self-control that is able to maintain a healthy life that gives God glory in everything you think and say and do. Let me ask you, does that sound like your faith? Does that sound like your faith is just constantly producing that over and over again in and out of all the seasons and chaoses and challenges of life? And someone might look at that and just say, like, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful picture. It's not necessarily reality. Like it's, like, it's this impossible idea that's out there that you can't have, but God would disagree. In fact, this is the kind of faith that God wants for you. That isn't shaken, that, that doesn't wither, but instead it prospers and it is fruitful in, in no matter what is coming into your life. And it's not only possible, but it's something that he would delight that you would want to have and pursue it. And let me be clear, you're not going to get it just from listening to a sermon by me or pastor, but it is possible if you take the word of God in the very first psalm, Psalm 1, if you take this word to heart and see just what this blessed condition looks like. Psalm 1 is where we're going to focus today, and here's how the first verse goes. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And it's that very first word, right? Blessed. Blessed. That right there really captures the entire idea of this whole psalm. What a blessed condition, what a blessed person looks like. And when you hear that word, uh, blessed has this idea of happy. But it's not just a superficial kind of happiness that sometimes we talk about in our world, in our culture, that's based on good circumstances or good fortune. It's more of like a, a it's deeper. It's, it's like an inner state. It's an inner being of happiness, of blessedness. And notice that the psalmist says, you're not going to find it down the path that sinners take. You're not going to find it, in other words, in an existence or, or find it where, where God is not there, where God is not blessing something, right? And I know that for a lot of us, we, we see and we're, we're tricked into thinking, uh, like so much of the world, that happiness is found in those avenues. We see people enjoying some happiness. We see people enjoying some good times, good experiences, good lives. But the psalmist basically says, yeah, that would be temporary based on circumstances, based on the good fortunes and what happens when those things change. So many times, by the time that person wakes up, that happiness, that good feeling, that good fortune, it's gone. It's, it's void. It's empty. It's an empty bucket. But the blessedness, the happiness that the psalmist is talking about is enduring. It's deeper than the superficial. It's much more fulfilling than the surface stuff. It's possible. It's possible to have it beyond the circumstances. So where, right? Where, where can I find this? Where can I get this? How do I have this? And that's what the psalmist answers in the next verse. He says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now first let me just say this verse 
is basically the heart and core of this psalm. It's what we're going to be unpacking for the majority of our time today. And the first thing we're going to unpack are those words in yellow. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, for the blessed person, their delight is in this book. God's, God's word. But you notice that the psalmist doesn't call it God's word. And we could have. And in fact, there's other psalms, when you look through the 150 psalms, there's other psalms where they mention God's word or the word of the Lord. But he says, no, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's very specific. And oftentimes, uh, depending on the context, that phrase law or law of the Lord can mean maybe it's the first five books of the Bible that were known to the Old Testament as the law of God, or maybe it can mean something a little narrower or a little wider. But right here in this context, he says it's the law of the Lord because law has this idea that it has authority and it has truth, the ability to speak that truth and authority into your life, right? Laws are good. Laws are meant for your benefit. Laws are meint for your prosperity, for your blessing. And, and if you're looking for a place to find purpose and meaning and direction and all of that stuff, wisdom in your life, he says, delight in this. In this book right here. Like a blessed person, they, they go home and they're not just looking forward after a, a long, hard day to to crack open a beer, but to crack open the word. Like the highlight of, of maybe a, a young mother's day isn't just when she's able to put the kids to bed and finally is able to sit down and relax and maybe watch a half hour, hour of her favorite show on Netflix or Hulu, but rather listen to the words of her God. Speak to her. Like that's what the psalmist says. Like, like this is a, is a blessed condition to be delighting in the law of the Lord in this book. And that's really easy for a pastor to say. (laughs) Aren't you paid to say that, right? It's really easy for a guy like me to stand up here and tell you that and tell you that that's what the psalmist means. But I honestly wonder if that is really your experience with God's word. That you say, delight in the law of the Lord, delight in this book. Um, Yeah, maybe not so much. And it's not because you haven't tried, because maybe your experience with God's word is like, yeah, I, I did try. I opened these book, this book and I didn't find just this happiness just filling me up and all of this blessedness just coming on me. But instead, maybe it was uh, something a little different. I've talked with people who have said, well, I, I tried reading the Bible. I started at the beginning where pretty much you pick up any book and you start at the beginning. And I read through Genesis, and maybe you did that, and maybe there was a couple parts you skimmed or whatever, but okay, lots of stories and everything. You got to Exodus, kind of picks up where Genesis left off, basically. You get to the second half of Exodus, and you think, okay, this is slowing down. There's lots of details in here. I don't really know what's going on. And by the time you get to Leviticus, you don't even read the first chapter of Leviticus, and you say, I'm done. I don't know what this is saying. This doesn't seem to be relevant for me. And you close it up. Or maybe your experience with God's word is that you read it and you just are confused. I don't know what this is saying. Like, I'm I'm trying to understand this. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know who's talking to what or what's going on. I don't even know the time that this was written in. And and you're just so frustrated. Like, you're so confused at what in the world is going on. So delight in this? 
Like if, if any of that resonates with you even in the slightest, then the question you need to ask yourself is how then can the psalmist say his delight is in the law of the Lord in this book that we now have and we're blessed to have? And the answer to how his delight is in this book is actually found in that same verse. It says, and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, when you hear that word meditate, if you have this idea, this perception in your mind of some sort of Eastern religion, folding your legs up in a pretzel and emptying your mind kind of experience, that is not what the Hebrew word means here at all. The Hebrew word for meditate is the Hebrew word hagah. And the word itself literally means to make a low, rumbling sound with your voice, often from chewing on something like food. So this word for meditate is used in a passage in Isaiah where he talks about as a lion growls over its prey. This this purring sound that this massive beast makes as it's like eating its prey, you know, or, or, or better yet, maybe to bring it closer to home, this is your dog. When you give your dog a bone and that dog does not just scarf it down in five or six bites, but instead that dog takes that bone and it takes it to his bed, his happy place in the house, and he lays down and he puts his little paws on there. And what have you, have you ever seen that before, right? What's that dog do? It doesn't, it just enjoys it and just grinds its teeth in it and just sometimes makes those happy puppy noises, right? Like, just, just loves it. That dog is in love with that bone. There's so much joy. There's so much delight in it. That's the idea behind meditate. That's the idea behind a blessed person who takes God's word and they find so much joy and delight in it. Like they, they treat it like a good meal. Imagine if you had like this master class chef prepare you personally this exquisite entree for you to eat. I guarantee you, you would take your time. I guarantee you, you would look at that and, well, depending on your age, once it comes out, uh, maybe you'd pull out your phone, get the right filters on that picture that you'd take and post it to Instagram. But if that's not you, and even if that is you, what are you doing? You're delighting in it. You haven't even taken a bite, but you're looking at the presentation of it. You're saying, whoa, man, this looks good. And then what do you do? You, you grab the fork, you grab the knife, you, you cut into it, and you, you take a bite. But you don't take two bites and swallow it. No, what would you do? You would, oh, you would take your time. Like, a, like you would just chew it and move it around with your tongue, not over all the taste buds on your tongue, but all the other taste buds inside your mouth. Get that thing around in your mouth. Uncover the flavors. Open up your palate to see what is exactly in here. You would savor and enjoy every bite. That's the idea behind meditate on his law. That's the idea. Is that your experience? Is that what you do? Have you ever been taught to meditate on God's word like that? Do you, do you savor the flavor that God has for you in his word? Or instead, are you more like someone who, who just is like a, like a teenager who is starving and finally it's supper time and after grace is said, you, you scarf down your meal in like two minutes flat and then ask, can I be excused? And your parents are like, do you even know what you just ate? Did you taste it? You just worked it right down. Like, do, you, do you savor it? Do you take your time or do you just read the pages 
Okay, all right, got it, done. Like, it is really easy to read a simple meditation that we have in our booklets that we, that we give away, right? Or, or a simple devotion that comes right to your inbox, right? Maybe you've got a, a verse of the day that comes right up on your phone. That's great. Maybe you've got this regularly scheduled uh, devotion that comes to you every single day in your email, or, or maybe you just have your booklet. You like to read that, and maybe it takes you two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. Okay, fine, five minutes. It's, it's so easy to read through that five minutes and then think to yourself, okay, I clicked open, I read it, I'm good, I got my Bible for the day, hit delete, close it up, put it back, check the box, good to go on with my life. And let me be absolutely clear, um, it's not a bad thing that you can certainly get a bit of blessing from God by doing that. But when you're not haggaiing it, when you're not meditating on it, you are missing out on so much more blessedness that God has for you. To think that you could be filled up from five minutes, and that that could produce a really great faith in you is a little bit naive, isn't it? I don't want to be too harsh about it. Certainly God's word doesn't dogmatically say, here's the exact way or how you'd go about it, but, but just entertain me for a second. When has five minutes of doing anything yielded something great? Like imagine a coach getting his team ready for the big game. And he starts the practice. And then after five minutes of practice, he blows the whistle and says, all right, guys, I think we're ready. Good practice. Five minutes. All right. Ready for the game. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think that's going to go well for you. Imagine uh, this musician who comes to the recital, comes to the, the concert and tells the band director, um, well, practice for five minutes, so I think I'm ready. Yeah, um, why don't you just not play your instrument for this, right? Imagine a student who says, I've got this test, I've got this semester exam, this final that I'm studying for, and I study for five minutes, bring the test on. It's, we understand that for, for great things to happen, it takes time, it takes effort, it, it takes energy to do that. Why would that be any different for God and the faith that he wants to produce in you? If you but if you understand, meditate. If you see God's word as this exquisite meal, then you would take your time because you understand there's a master chef behind every single word that he wants to speak to your heart, your mind, your soul, your thoughts. And so, okay, pastor, you're telling me to meditate. You're telling me to haga this thing. All right, so how do I do that? And what I'll do for the next few minutes is just go through a couple of principles that are based in Scripture, uh, a couple tips you might say. Um, go through some of those, but, but more than that, I just want to come back to why. Like why God, why His Word would say this is, your, this is valuable for you. So first, those, those tips, those principles. I get asked as a pastor all the time, like, how do I get more out of it? So tip number one, schedule it. If you don't schedule this, it's not going to happen, Right? There's a, a good influence on my life, a, a Christian man who just told me this uh, simple thing. He said, if it's important to you, you'll find a way to get it done. 
Now, you won't find that in the book of Proverbs, but it's a really good, wise saying, right? It, it makes total sense. If something is important to you, you will find a way to do it, right? We prioritize our priorities. We get the important things to us done, which means that if we didn't get something done, Maybe we didn't want to invest the time in it. Maybe it wasn't that important. So if this is something that God says is important for you, then make it important for you and schedule it. Plan the time for it. And I totally get it. We all have our own schedules. Some of us are students and we're busy with sports and we're busy with college planning or maybe we're just busy with homework and all the other things going on. I get it. Some of us are single, but we have so much in our lives. Some of us are married. We don't have kids. We have little kids. We have big kids. You have grandkids. We all have our own busyness. We all have our own seasons of life. But this principle is the same. Schedule it. Like, make this a priority. For me, I'll just make this practical for you. I have four wonderful angels that God has given me <laughs> at home. And they like to wake up fairly early. And you guys know, if you've had kids, that once those kids are awake, you can't find a time to just sit and meditate. You're taking care of them. So what did I do? I'm not a morning person. But by the time I get to the end of the day, I'm, I'm wiped. I don't have the time for this. So I wake up at 5 in the morning. I grab my cup of coffee. I take a shower, not in that order, and then I just sit and I meditate on God's Word. I open it up and go through it. I don't know what's going to work for you, but, but make this happen. Schedule it. I'd say the second thing I would say is pray about it. Prayer is your opportunity to, to talk with God, and, and if God has got His Word here and He's going to speak to you, then prepare your heart. And say, God, God, remove any of these distractions in my mind, in my heart, because I'm coming down to a feast and you are going to fill me up and there is more goodness here than my heart can take in right now. So take away all the distractions. Open my ears. Soften my heart so that I can hear not just the good things, but the tough things, the hard things that you want me to hear so that I can give you glory. Right? Say a prayer or something like that. And then dive in and ask questions. Like sometimes people tell me, well, I read it. I say, but are you just reading it? Or are you interrogating it? Are you asking those questions about it? Like, what is God saying here? Who's the author? To whom is he writing? What's the context? If you don't know, then go back. Okay, um, and what's, what's the situation? Why are these people struggling with this situation? And, and what is God's promise here? And, and where is God showing me me in this story? Where is God showing me my sin in this story? Where is God showing me my faults in this story? And, and where is God in this? And what does it say about his character and his promises? And, and man, like this was two, three, four thousand years ago, but maybe this is still so relevant for me in the current, in the present, right now, right? And, and by the time you start doing that, wow, you, you start wrestling with it, you start struggling with it, and that's haggaiing it, that's meditating on it, that's taking it and owning it and applying it to yourself. That's what it is. And it's a wrestling match, you bet. It's a struggle, absolutely, but God is glorified in that struggle. It should be hard. It should be a mental exercise. In fact, listening to a sermon should be something 
that is a mental struggle because you are taking these words and you are processing it and you are applying it to your life and you're thinking and you're writing down notes in your head or in real life, whatever it is, it should be a struggle. That's how God grows you. He matures you through that struggle. That's a good thing. And if you have a bunch of questions that you're not able to answer, find a commentary, find a spiritually mature Christian, find a pastor, this is what I do, come talk to me. And I'd say the last thing Scripture would say is take your time. You don't need to get through the Bible in a whole year. Not that I'm saying that that's a bad thing, but, but if we're going to slow down and meditate, slow down and meditate. Like I know people who take a chapter. I know people who take a few verses, maybe a paragraph, maybe a story. Take your time. You can read through a chapter in maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. But when you start asking questions, you'll be amazed how quickly the time goes by. For some of you, maybe this take your time means start out with 10 minutes, start out with 15 minutes, 20, 30, 45, an hour. I, I typically do a half hour to 45 minutes, maybe even up to an hour because there's so much <laughs> that God wants to say. And you'll be amazed when you start doing this, just how much God is doing for you and in you and, and how quickly that time goes by. Take your time. But with all that being said, back to the matter at hand, the biggest question is not just the what and the how, but pastor, why would I do this? I don't know if you're going to take these words to heart and and how much you're actually going to do. I I pray that you do, but why? You know, is, is this an optional thing? I already know Jesus. I have faith in him. He's my savior. I'm going to see him someday. So if I already have heaven and if I already have the promise of grace, then why do I need to schedule the time and take the time to put this hard effort and energy in? And to answer that, here's what I would say. Imagine Jesus walked through these doors and snuck into your pew, slid over next to you, and leaned over and said, hey, I've, uh, I've got something that I want to discuss with you. Now, this is Jesus. I doubt that any of you would say, shh. <laughs> I doubt that any of you would say, uh, I can give you five minutes on my calendar. <laughs> No, I think you would probably just say, uh, whatever it is on my calendar, uh, I'm going to reschedule everything and I'm going to sit. And you would just be so eager to hear every single word that Jesus would have to say for you, right? It's a bit of a silly illustration, I know, but isn't that what you would do? You would do that. You would hang on every word from Jesus and want to listen to everything he has to say because you know what Jesus has done for you. Friends, is that not what the law of the Lord, what God's word is, everything that he wants you to know. It's him speaking to you. So are you listening? And will you listen? Like I'm, I'm sure there are some of you who are feeling so guilty because you're looking at your life and you're saying, I'm lazy and I've been lazy. And I've got this word and it's just sitting on my shelf because I've made every single excuse not to get into it. And some of you 
or maybe thinking about that, that other parable that we read from the gospel reading, that you're saying like, yeah, at times I have been that hard heart, that hard soil that just didn't want to listen, and so whatever. I came, I was listening to God's word, but I wasn't listening, and it, and it didn't take root. Or some of you are saying like, well, I thought I heard this promise from God, and I thought how my life was going to go, and then this tragedy hit, and I'm withering up, I'm shriveling up because my heart is so shallow. And some of you are maybe thinking, you know, I'm more like that third soil where God's word is there, but there are so many distractions. I'm chasing happiness. I'm chasing blessedness in all of these other areas and prioritizing all the wrong things. And do you know what this word says about all those sins? They're forgiven. This word tells you that all those sins, Jesus came to take them all onto himself. Remove them from you so you could be blessed. That God does not look at you and love you any less because you do or don't crack open this word enough or for long enough. But instead, he's, he delights in you. Day and night, he's telling his angels, my daughter, look at my son. I delight in them only because of Jesus, right? And if you have a God who loves you unconditionally like that, like I bet you would want to hear every word that he has to say for you. And not only would God want you to listen to that, but he would want you to hang on those words and so put them into practice that you would be someone who produces so much fruit in your life. And in fact, that's what the psalmist describes where we're going to end today. The person who does this is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. The person he says it's like a tree that's planted by this constant source of life, this stream of water. And you get the implications, right? That it's not just for the good times, but it's for the bad times, for the storms and the droughts of life. This is a person who isn't just surviving, but thriving. This is an oasis in the midst of all the chaos. This person, you, could be this oasis producing so much fruit in the midst of whatever is going on because you are so firmly planted and drawing on the word of God for all of those times, right? So when the, the finances are going haywire, the inflation is going up, the market's going down, the interest is crazy, you're not panicked. You're not freaking out like so many other people, but instead you're able to produce this prosperous fruit of joy, of peace, of, of gratitude and generosity through it. That when the challenges of life come, when the drought of death and hardship and suffering and pain hits your life, you hurt. But you're not wrecked. And you don't wither up like so many people do because you have a hope and you're producing this fruit of peace and love and hope because you're so firmly rooted in God and this word and what he has to say for you. Do, you. do you get that? Do you see the amazing power of this word in your life right now? 
He didn't just die so that you could have him someday. He died that you could have him today in your life, no matter what's going on. So are you going to start? Like, do you want that blessedness that God wants for you? There's a million other questions to ask. So that the nuts and bolts and hows and whatnot, talk to me. Talk to me after. Talk to me in an email. Come set up a time. Shoot me a text. Whatever. It's okay. This is what I love to do. There's no one way to do something. But you do see the, the benefit of this, right? And, and understand, if you start this, understand what every farmer knows. You don't plant a seed and then overnight see this beautiful tree that's producing all sorts of fruit. It takes time. But what did God tell us in that other reading? That over time, with a good heart that listens to it, what every farmer knows, it produces a crop yielding 30, 60, 100 times what was sown, the fruit of righteousness. Let that fruit be yours, because that is what God wants for your life now and always. Amen.